Would you stand with me, friends, as we hear the Lord's word read this morning? This morning we are reading from 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I'd like to read for us verses 1 through 8. Please stand with me. Again, this is the Lord's word. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is the Lord's word. Please be seated, friends. Again, Father, we thank you for your word and pray that your blessing now and your spirit be upon your servant and upon these, your people. We ask, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear. And we pray that the the weight and the glory of this text would be felt in every bosom in this place and for those who will hear it in days to come. We ask that Christ would be lifted up and that we, Father, would be extremely sober-minded as we hear these things. Grant us your grace now, we pray, humbly asking these things because of your goodness. In Christ's name, amen. For multiple reasons, uh, I've decided to step away from Colossians this morning and to come to this text of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And, and let me give you a, a couple of reasons why, several. First, to remind myself of what my job is. Secondly, to remind you of what my job is. And um, by doing these, reaffirming the path that we need to continue upon. Why am I saying this? Many of you know I enjoy watching the news. And it's my, my habit, my custom, that I will grab my cup of coffee in the morning as I'm trying to find socks and, and go out and check things in the yard. Um, I will sit down with my cup of coffee and I will watch the news. And so I've been especially interested. um, I was one who wrote our senator about this Respect for Marriage Act, which she ended up voting for. Um, And so I was keenly aware of that this has been going on. Uh, So this past Thursday, the 8th, the House of Representatives voted upon and passed what is called the Respect for Marriage Act, which many have termed the Disrespect for Marriage Act, and I believe rightfully. According to the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is an organization that is defending freedom, uh, one of their men, or someone they hired to to write for them, wrote this, uh, that this act threatens religious freedom and the institution of marriage in multiple ways. Let me read for you the ways that they, they list out here. Um, This author claims it further embeds a false definition of marriage in the American legal fabric. Two, it opens the door to federal recognition of polygamous relationships. 
Three, it jeopardizes the tax-exempt status of nonprofits that exercise their belief that marriage is the union of one man and one woman. Four, it could make religious freedom and free speech cases harder to win. Five, it could result in predatory litigation by activists against faith-based social service organizations that could mire Americans in courts for years to vindicate their rights under the First Amendment. He writes, The truth is the Respect for Marriage Act does nothing to change the status of same-sex marriages or the benefits afforded to the same-sex couples following Obergefell. It does much, however, to endanger religious freedom. This uh, act, which was passed, um, I have not heard whether or not the president has signed it yet, uh, but this plus the JCPA, which is the Journalism Co Competition and Preservation Act, uh, if you have followed that at all, essentially what it does is it gives mainline or mainstream news outlets, um, it gives them support and it squashes tiny organizations that might or do oftentimes present contrary views on things. So between these things, and of course you understand my position, I'm a pastor. I have an interest in this because I want to know when I'm going to jail because I'd like to leave my wife and in, in at least a good place um, and and look I'm not a prophet nor am I the son of a prophet um, but hearing these two bits of information made me go this is bad this is really bad my friends our culture has changed um, and, and let me say that nobody is beyond temptation. Um, let's say there's the real threat that somebody comes in and says, I heard you uh, talk badly about homosexuals and marriage. Let's just say I read from 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Let's just say I just did that. They could say, what is this hate speech? Who said you could, you could do that? Don't you know? that you're, don't you know you're, you're spreading hate? You're, you're going against the federal government. Don't you know that we can sue you for this very thing? Um, I'm not beyond being tempted to capitulate. You know, I got to tell you, I like my bed at home. And I like my coffee cups and I like my coffee. I like to know where my boots are and where my socks are and which drawer I like all of those things just like you I don't want to have to give those things up and yet that's the kind of thing we're confronted with and, and if you think if you think I'm in doubt or if I'm, I'm blowing smoke I say look at the baker in Colorado look at the website designers these are people by for no I mean nobody is saying these are nefarious actors they're just out and they're no they're 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 Christian people just trying to make an honest living doing their jobs and they've gone after them. Don't think that because they've got a line in this bill that says churches are exempt, don't think that's going to hold up long. I certainly don't think that. So I could be tempted to capitulate. You may think me nuts if I don't capitulate. You may feel that, I've, uh, that I'm just too extreme, right? Just like 
the boat on the water appears to the boat on the water rather it appears that the land has moved you may say well you're awfully extreme and I go wait 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 so far the message has not changed from this pulpit right just because the culture changes on me doesn't mean that I've changed in Daniel 6.10, we are told this. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, remember that you're only supposed to pray to the king, uh, Darius. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. The culture changed on Daniel. Daniel continued to do the thing he was supposed to do. We have been saying that we are engaged in a spiritual battle. Paul says it in Ephesians 6.12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Peter would exhort us, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We have seen this in Acts chapter 12, that Herod, being a tool, an instrument in the hands of Satan, would go ahead and persecute the church. Do not think that I am being some extremist when I say these things. Governments have routinely done this throughout the centuries, have persecuted the church in order to appease the loudest sections of the populace. We are told, again, by Paul, after we, he, he exhorts us to put on the full armor of God, he lists out two offensive implements, those being the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and prayer. In context here in 2 Timothy, Paul is on his way out. He's getting ready to die. I'm not saying that about myself. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not planning on being on my way out. But he writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And now it is Timothy's turn to take the baton and to run. Each generation of church leaders has had to face this. The early church had to fight heretics, Gnostic teachers, those who encouraged indulging the flesh, or living out ascetic practices, as we've looked at in the book of Colossians. The reformers fought against the Roman Catholic Church and its other gospel and its endless traditions in the 19th and 20th centuries. The church had to fight liberalism, which was denying the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, the authority of Scripture as being the very word of God. And now in the 21st century, we have had to fight postmodernism, the self, new age, Christ enlightenment nonsense, the wokeness, the LGBTQ+, where the gospel has been redefined into that which serves me and exalts me and allows me to indulge my flesh. And all the while, the church is supposed to be pushing back against these things based upon the word of God. One generation must impress upon the next the continual need to rise and to hold to the truth of the scriptures, as Jude would exhort us to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. It is our job. In light of the fact, as uh, here in the, the book of Second Timothy, in light of the fact that difficult days would come, pseudo-religion uh, would reign, 
Timothy must continue in the things he had learned and become convinced of, knowing this, that the scriptures are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, uh, so that the man may be made complete. Uh, the scriptures are God-breathed. They are truthful and powerful to change us. And Timothy is not merely to look after himself, but also after others. He is supposed to look after the church. It is the job of the, of the pastor to preach the word regardless of the climate of the day. That is, whether preaching is popular or not, whether it is liked as in times of revival where the churches were full and prayer meetings were full, or in times that disparage the word, so that the church, we do this so that the church will continue in a healthy fashion. Paul wrote earlier, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. Do you understand, friends, that there is a colossal battle going on? And the church has to stay in the battle and I find it very interesting and as I heard the legislation that's being passed it made me think immediately oh you just need to stay the course and what are you supposed to do what's the alternative it'd be a lot easier if we just decided to go along with the world stay with the word right we stay with the word it would be easier but then we would cease to be a church you see we would cease to be a church in this last last chapter the apostle paul gives to timothy a solemn charge one which we must hold to as well in our day despite the impending threats that's why i say I'm preaching this to remind me. I'm also preaching this to remind you. And like Daniel, I think we just meet every Sunday hereafter, just like we always do, and keep doing the things that we've said we are going to do. This is, this is the, simple, the simple solution. Listen again to verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. Paul writes, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. He gives them a solemn charge, a solemn order. Uh, the idea here that Timothy, he is putting Timothy under an oath. You know what that means, right? This is serious business, Timothy. This is not something that you can dink with, that you can, that you can bargain with, that we can say, yeah, he didn't really mean it. When you take an oath, when you make a vow, you're supposed to keep it. When you are put under an oath, you keep it. That's, you've taken membership vows, right? You've taken oaths in marriage. Some of you have taken oaths as, uh, as Marines or as soldiers, as policemen, as public servants, you have an obligation. Here Paul is obligating Timothy uh, with this solemn charge, calling for him to understand that this, this solemn charge is in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is 
at his coming, going to judge the ones living and those who have already died. And when he comes the second time, when he comes with power and glory and totality of his kingdom, he is taking this oath, placing this oath upon Timothy in the presence of this one, so that Timothy feels the weight of what Paul is just now saying. Because the temptation is that we accommodate the culture. Since when do we prepare worship services and the church for goats? Anyone? And yet that's what we've done in our day. We've we've accommodated the church to fit the world. It's wrong. And and you see, he's placing this upon Timothy so that Timothy won't make this mistake of accommodating the world around him. I solemnly charge you, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. Timothy, you will give an account to the Lord. Each of us will be judged and will have to give an account to the Lord, as the writer of Ecclesiastes wrote, for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Knowing this, Timothy, I adjure you to preach the word. Preach it. It's a command he gives, this word preach. It's in the imperative. One commentator said this, that preaching is to proclaim after the manner of a herald, always with the suggestion of formality, gravity, and an authority which must be listened to and obeyed. That's preaching. It is to proclaim before public and not, listen, and not in the weakened sense which today is often attached to it. This other commentator gave this. He says, modern concepts of preaching are this. It is to deliver a moral or religious discourse of any kind and in any way. Well, friends, let me suggest to you some good suggestions from the Bible. They're just suggestions. I don't want to offend anyone. We want to keep it broad enough so as not to offend anyone. And we want to keep it general enough so that everyone can fit in and we can all go home. That's preaching today. Let me share some thoughts. That's not preaching. Sorry. That's not what the messenger of God is called to do. Share thoughts. Leave you with warm sentiments. He is a herald. He is a servant. And he comes proclaiming a message. He comes proclaiming a message. Again, this commentator says the word employed in the original means to proclaim literally, herald, make known officially and publicly a matter of great significance. They say preaching is the earnest proclamation of news initiated by God. So you remember the story of Jonah who did not want to go to Nineveh because he knew God was merciful and didn't want to see the Ninevites uh, experience the mercy of God. God made him go to Nineveh, and this was what we are told. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's a solemn declaration. I'm not here to mince words with you. I'm just telling you the facts. Timothy, you are to be a herald of the message of God, like an ambassador who brings news from the king to a foreign land. My friends, it is not a dialogue. Preaching is not a dialogue. 
sometimes people want me to be open with what I'm saying. Why in the world are you so blasted dogmatic? Because the Bible is just that black and white. Right? In our day, we esteem the wisdom of men. Well, it's just not wise to say these things. Friends, I am duty-bound to preach this word. I don't care what Washington has to say on the matter. Except, of course, if they were to say, we want you to preach the word. I could agree with that. But when they tell us, you can't preach the word, you can't sit under the word, you can't have a pastor who preaches the word, what option do they leave us? The Almighty has spoken. He's told us what we have to do. And so, preaching is not a dialogue. It is not here for your enjoyment. It is not here for your entertainment. We are not deciding what we think about the message, whether we like it on any given day or not. Frankly, that should never be a consideration of yours. I didn't like it, or I liked it, so therefore it's true. That's not the right way to look at preaching. You, you understand, I have a responsibility to divide the word and to present it to you. Do you know you also have, read it, I mean, you can check the scriptures, but, but check our confessional standards. They say also that it's incumbent upon you to hear the word and to respond to the word. Your job is not to say, I liked it or I didn't like it. Your job, like a Berean, is to say, yes, I think this lines up with the rest of scripture. By all means, have at it. Check me against it. If I'm out of step with the word of God, call me to the carpet. Or at least come and ask me, you said this, I think this. Is it possible you were wrong? And I might say, as I have in the past, yeah, I might have overstated that. And then I would the next Sunday correct things. But if I'm in line with scripture, what's your obligation? Your obligation is to conform your life to the truth. It is what it is, friends. It is, the word of God is what it is. And so he is to preach the word. He is to preach the word. We are to hear the word. We are to expect the word to be preached. I am called by the Lord to preach the word. Now, I want to put your minds at ease. Nobody comes up to me and says, please quit preaching. No, none of you has said that. I'm expecting, however, that the pressure is going to come. And the way things are going, probably before Christmas, <laughs> right? They're going to start breathing down our throats, saying, you can't, you can't have this hate speech. You can't be saying things like this. And, and for the record, I don't hate homosexuals. I don't. They're in sin, just like the drunkard is in sin when he's drunk. What do I call them to do? Repent and believe the gospel and you will find forgiveness for your sins. I'm not out to hate these people. I'm really not. I have had people who I've worked with and I've always tried to be a, a faithful co-worker and a, and a kind and gentle man uh, with these people. But I'm in no position, nor are you, to say it's okay if you endorse or imbibe in immorality. You are not okay. If you are living in unrepentant sin, friends, don't call yourself a Christian and do not place your hope and your faith uh, in that you are okay. 
I would question whether or not you're in the Lord if you're living in unrepentant sin, but that would be sin of all stripes and all varieties. Do you see this? I'm not targeting one particular sin, nor did the Apostle Paul. The Lord delivers people out of these things. He has to preach the word. Uh, look at chapter 3, uh, one chapter before this. Listen to what he says in verses 15 and 16. Speaking again to Timothy, uh, I'll start in verse 14. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired, or that is, God-breathed, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, that is, mature or perfected, equipped for every good work. The word of God is, is breathed by God. It is true. And therefore, we are to present it boldly, according to Ephesians chapter 6. Again, friends, the word of God is preeminent, not the latest craze or human opinion or philosophies. When our government says, you have to respect these marriages, and I understand what they're saying, that each state has to recognize what the, their state they're coming from has recognized. I understand that. The problem comes when they start expecting the church to likewise recognize it. Somebody comes into the church, two homosexual men, two lesbian women, and they say, we're married and we want to join your church. And I go, no. I don't even need the session's authority on this because the scriptures are plain. We just say, no, you, you, I'm sorry, you have to repent of your sin. And then they say, well, then we're going to go take you up on a lawsuit. It's bound to happen. Um, this is the philosophy of the age. In recent decades, we've seen this tremendous shift in focus from preaching which is centered upon the Lord, his mind, his commands, his provision of salvation, his promises, to man-centered preaching to the psychology, to self-esteem, to temperaments, talk about me and tell me what I want. And so what do we hear? Love is love. I mean, this, this is stuff that is going on in the Lord's visible church today. These are things going on. Read headlines and you will see these things. Love is love. Um, a man can become a woman. Um, these old styles of ways, we, let's just label it as patriarchy. It's white supremacy it's all these sorts of things and people pulpits are preaching this stuff and they've gotten away from the word of god right what did the the, the governor of california do let's put up signs that says love your neighbor as a, as a, an endorsement and support for abortion seriously that's blasphemous to destroy another life in the name of love Give me a break. But this stuff has been going on, and churches are, are imbibing in these things. Preaching that centers around God is often considered not very practical. Jeremiah wrote in chapter 23, But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. He is to preach the word. When? 
he is to preach the word whether it is in season or not in season Timothy must always be ready to preach again be ready in season and out of season there are only two seasons right you can buy strawberries in season or you can try to find them out of season (laughs) there's only two seasons and that roughly encompasses 12 months of the year there are times when the word of God is popular like I said and it's received well and then there are times it is not popular Um, the word is always appropriate whatever the situation the church used to say things and the government used to support the church the government is no longer behind the church the government is against the church not everyone who serves in the government is against the church there are many fine politicians who I believe genuinely want to protect and we heard some of them put forward amendments to this to this ungodly law that they just passed but the church uh, the government officially is against the church we are now in the off season officially in the off season biblical preaching is officially no longer popular or acceptable and so he gives here these four challenges uh, to Timothy Timothy you must reprove rebuke exhort with great patience and instruction what does it mean to reprove what should you expect from the pulpit to reprove is to show a person their error it is to correct somebody who is errant my friends preaching is to expose error pray for me preaching is to expose error oftentimes you will get offended by what is said hopefully it's not the manner in which it was said but the substance of what was said when you are doing something you shouldn't the word of god is opened up as the perfect and true righteous word of god and what does it do but it exposes our sin oftentimes when your sin is exposed you either want to change pastors change churches get rid of that pastor you want to change everything except yourself that's not the right response when the word cuts you quick and lays you open flays you and exposes your sin your response is to be I guess I need to change this that's the proper response to the word being preached reprove he says Secondly, he says rebuke. Again, this is a censure. Uh, uh, Speaking seriously, it is to warn in order to prevent an action or bring one to an end. The preacher must point out sin. He must rebuke. This is wrong, friends. It is wrong that we neglect to worship the Lord. It is wrong when we neglect to love our wives. It is wrong, wives, when you're not respecting your husbands and their, their leading it is wrong to steal from the Lord it is wrong to neglect his word right these things are wrong we we are out to prevent or to promote right behavior he says you must exhort urge admonish 
call aside. You must move them, move the people in the direction that they ought to go. This admonition is a, is a tenderness and there's an earnestness to us. If you would turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, or I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, just a, a few books back. Listen to how Paul would write in verses 7 through 12. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you, believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God, of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Do you see this? He's, they, they are exhorting, they are approaching the church tenderly as a mother with children, as a father towards his children, using the f familial language so that we would understand how we deal with any, one another. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, again in this tenderness and gentleness, and he says, do this with all great patience and instruction. That is with long-suffering and persistent teaching. This is what he says. This is our job. A couple of points of application here. This is the call of the pastor. This is my job. I have not started something new today because of a legislation that was passed this week. My goal has always and only been, albeit not always the most wisely executed, has always been to be faithful to the Lord. You understand. I will give an account if I'm using this word to line my pockets, if I'm misusing this word to, to, to cajole or coerce people into certain behaviors or manipulations. We have a session who watches my back. They stand up with me, they stand up to me, and they stand up for me, which is the way it should be. But nothing new is taking place. And like Daniel, I'm just gonna keep doing what I'm doing and so I would ask you, please don't despise what we are doing here. Pray for yourselves. Listen to the word as it's preached and be doers of it. Do not despise the Lord's word. Proverbs, right? And chapter 12, verse 1, Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Do not despise the Lord's word. Hate the sin that you see in yourselves and deal with it in yourselves and deal with it in others gently. We don't change just because the government has made rulings. And then I would encourage you to please pray for me and pray for your elders that we would not capitulate to the temptations of the age in which we live, that we would preach the word in season and out of season, that we would handle it accurately in our Sunday school classes, in our worship, that we would reprove, rebuke, and admonish the way we ought to with gentleness and great patience and instruction. My friends, the vitality 
and the health of this congregation and of the church across this land depends upon pastors doing what they are supposed to do. If we capitulate to these kinds of policies, what, what, what do you think will become of the church? We sat around for too long and were silent, and now these kinds of things come up. Shame on us. And I'm not necessarily targeting you when I say that statement. But what has the church been doing? I think back of the 80s. Oh, aside from their synthesizer and guitar music, the 80s were a very deplorable time. Some of you might disagree with synthesizers. Deplorable in the sense that we were so wrapped up in making money and living comfortably that this leaven was growing. And look where we are today. A healthy view of the word, preaching the word, is directly related to health. And so we must look at the scriptures and we must stand upon the word of God. We must not take this for granted that the word will always be preached. I am genuinely concerned that the church will start to feel pressure. We will start to be shamed as being narrow-minded. We could potentially be targeted by the IRS, in which case you would be tempted to say, well, I'm not giving any money unless I can get a tax-exempt status. You're going to have to wrestle with the Lord on that. But I'm telling you what, we better decide what we're going to do. We better decide. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Whether or not I get a tax-exempt status, I'm going to continue to tithe because I'm not getting it, giving it in order to get a tax-exempt status. I'm giving it to worship my God who blesses me with every good gift. That's why I do it. I don't preach here because you give me a paycheck. Guess what? I was doing ministry long before I ever got called to be a pastor. And praise God, and I pray to God that I will do it, and I will die with my boots on. But this is, way, this is the way we must think. I'm not being an alarmist. I'm really not. I think it's coming. Our government is officially against the church with these policies. And, and if you think I, I'm, I'm, I could be wrong, I just say consider the mainline churches who have jettisoned huge, huge portions and essential doctrines to be found acceptable by the world. They've done it. That's why you ask things like, now how is this little church different than the church that has homosexual ministers? And I get to tell you, well, we're sticking with the Bible. <laughs> we're, we're sticking with the God of Scripture. And so here he, he commands Timothy to preach the word. And we're going to wrap this up very quickly. Um, why, he says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Listen to verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Like he says, the time will come if you look at uh, chapter 3, verse 1, but realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, 
unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, etc., etc. The time, the season has come when sound doctrine will not be tolerated, will not be endured. Sound doctrine is doctrine that is good, it is healthy, it is true, it is incorruptible. It's the doctrine that brings life. Doctrine that brings life, the truth of God's word, which if obeyed, you find blessing in it. You find blessing in it. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine or they will not tolerate sound doctrine, or they will not listen to sound doctrine. Marriages between one man and one woman in holy matrimony, period. That's a doctrine. That doctrine was laid out for us in Genesis chapter 2. I have no business undermining what God has said. Sound doctrine is good. Here in, in 2 Timothy 1.13, we are told this, retain the standard of sound words, Paul says to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 1, 8-11, listen to this. He writes, But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Do you hear that litany, that list he just gave? He says, these things are contrary to sound, life-giving, healthy doctrines. Our confessions, our catechisms, these things ought to be read. What wonderful tools we have been given and what a wonderful blessing it is to have sound Sunday school classes and I believe sound preaching both Sunday morning and Sunday night. What a blessing to have Bible studies and times where we gather together and we hold up the truth of God. Your lives, if you're in the Lord, you are watching your lives increasingly get better as you bow the knee to Jesus Christ and his lordship. These are life-giving doctrines. But popular opinion sees these things that we hold to as being old and outdated and irrelevant and not beneficial to life. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They will not tolerate what is sound and healthy, but quite the opposite extreme. They want to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. They can't stand the truth, but crave teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. When I was a kid, it was like a big deal for me compared to my brothers to have the most Hot Wheels. And I remember I had this dirty old white sandwich bag, lunch bag, that I used to keep my Hot Wheels in. And I used to lay them out one next to the other. I accumulated these Hot Wheels. And it's surprising to me now, you remember how you'd lift the wheels and you shake it and you could feel if the axle was warped? All of mine were warped. <laughs> that comes from pushing too intensely on them. I had cars without wheels. I had things that they shouldn't by all rights be even considered part of the, the number. 
because they were so trashed. And yet this is what people do with these false teachers. They accumulate for themselves uh, teachers according to their own desires. So we don't like what the pulpit, we're hearing in the pulpit, we don't like what the word of God has to say. So we buy books and we hop on the internet, we listen to podcasts and, and, and listen to the radio. We collect for ourselves teachers who teach what we want to hear. And these teachers reassure us that we are in the right and the pastor is wrong. That's, that's what's happening here, literally. The word of God is put underneath and holds no authority, but the doctrines of demons do. Again, I want to challenge anyone. Have you ever heard me say anything from this pulpit that would say, destroy your life? I've never said those words, and I don't think I've ever preached anything here that has said, you should destroy your life. And yet, the things that I say would be considered by the world as you're narrow, you're destructive, you're old-fashioned, you need to get on the right side of history, you need to start promoting these sorts of things that we all agree are really good things. And I can't do it. I can't do it, nor ought I to be doing those sorts of things. Jeremiah warned of these things. Ezekiel warned of these things. So the days would come when men will speak and speak things that go against Scripture, but the masses will love it and embrace it because we have lusted for entertainment and for amusement. We no longer want to think about who God is or what he has said. The culture says, I have no interest in hearing what God has to say. You should be telling me what I want to hear. That's the problem. And that's what Timothy is facing, was facing, and that's what you and I are now about to face. I'm hurrying along here. They will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside, he says, to myths. We love to hear of grace, but we don't want to hear of repentance and obedience. And beloved, the gospel is the whole thing. Here's the good news. You were lost and dead in your sins. You were bound for hell. And Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. That's the gospel. Flee from the wrath to come and embrace Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the gospel. But these they turn their ears away and listen to myths, to lies, hearing people say, peace, 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 you have nothing to worry about. Jeremiah again says, they have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. We're in a bad place as a nation. Listen to what he says. I'm wrapping it up very quickly now, really quickly, um, much more than I was just a moment ago. He says in verse 5, but you, but you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. He gives four imperatives here to Timothy, and he's contrasting. Timothy, this is the flaky multitudes. This is the backdrop of now your ministry, but this is what I want you to do in light of or in spite of the flakiness we see in the culture. First of all, be sober in all things. That is, be clear-headed, calm, and collected in spirit. Be temperate, dispassionate, circumspect. In other words, 
Don't be a hothead and don't be reactionary. Don't be a hothead, don't be reactionary. Be sober in all things. He says, endure hardship. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 8, he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. When he says endure hardship, he is telling Timothy, uh, aside from being sober in all things, put up with nonsense. Put up with the nonsense in the world around you in the sense of you're not going to go nuts and you're not going to quit. Put up with, join with those who suffer for the gospel. Timothy, stay the course. Don't quit. Do the work of an evangelist. Again, Timothy, you must be a gospel preacher. You must preach the good news of Christ. Again, my friends, we preach to expose sin, but you notice we don't stop with merely exposing sin. We preach that people need Jesus Christ. Again, he came to save sinners. That's our ultimate goal. It hurts to have your sin exposed. I have no doubt that it hurts the homosexual community to hear a pastor in town say, what you're doing is wrong. But I don't wish you ill. I will tell you the truth with the hopes that you will be set free from your sin and you will know the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. And finally, he says, fulfill your ministry. That is, do your job to the fullest. Fulfill the ministry in every respect. Timothy, don't stop. Don't back down. Don't change the message. You stay the course. Do the work you're supposed to do, regardless of what the culture says. Mr. Strong, do your work, regardless of what the government says. Grace Reform Fellowship, you church, do the work the Lord has called us to do, regardless of what the government says and does and their antagonism. Nothing need and nothing must change. This is my calling. This is our calling. This is the task of this pulpit. This is the task of this pastor. It is what you need, therefore. It is what you should expect. It is what you should desire. It is what you should promote. And it is what you should protect. That's it. And we must never cave to the pressure to do otherwise. Because when we do that, the message of the gospel is compromised, and now there would be no message of hope for anyone. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, again for your word, and pray that your blessing be upon your people today, and that you would give us, Father, a great boldness, and that, Father, we would stay the course, that we would just do what we've always done, That is to open the word and say, thus saith the Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you have not left us without a witness of yourself or what is right. And so, Father, we pray that with all love and kindness, we would speak the truth wherever we go. And that, Father, we ask that you would protect the pulpits of this region where they tremble at your word and that men would be bold and faithful and entrusting themselves to you without regard for what men will think of them. Grant that we should have a greater view and vision of you. I do ask these things now in Christ's name. Amen.